What's going on? This is TJ Murphy and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. My guest today is Jim Bishop. Jim is the founder of Conjunction Leadership, a renowned executive coach and corporate leader with over 20 years of experience in executive development, leadership, and human performance. His extensive career includes working with global corporations like Eli Lilly, Roge, and Ilanco, where he played a pivotal role in modernizing leadership systems and transforming business units. After a two-decade tenor as a corporate executive, leading teams and organizations to success, Jim got his certification from the International Coaching Federation before going on to being named one of the top 15 coaches in Indianapolis by Influence Digest in 2022. Jim's approach is rooted in the belief that transformative leadership begins with self-improvement and extends to revitalizing entire organizational cultures. Just a few of the golden takeaways Jim shares in this episode are embracing the and mindset for holistic leadership and entrepreneurship, navigating the VUCA world we live in, overcoming midlife challenges and cultivating authenticity, and combining executive coaching and entrepreneurial spirit for a balanced, impactful life. So without further ado, this is me and Jim Bishop. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, Jim, welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. Thanks, TJ. Thanks for having me. Hey, excited for the conversation. I think this is going to be a value-packed one and would love to start with just a bit of background on your journey specifically. So can you tell us a little bit about your story leading to you becoming the adventurous entrepreneur you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's start at the beginning and just say that um, I'm classically trained as a scientist who ended up as an executive coach. And how did that transpire? Um, many years of working in science, um, going to school for it, just recognized the questions that people were asking me had nothing to do with what was happening in the scientific field. Um, it was more about how do they engage and reward and train and hire employees. Um, and I realized I didn't know much about that, although I had a lot of experience in that. So all during my college years, I had been a part of many different clubs and organizations. Um, and thought from that, it was just because it was fun and something to do to break up the monotony of school. But what I realized was it gave me a pretty good network of people to draw upon. So I started bringing in solutions to our scientific customers they had to deal with people-related issues and realizing that could actually take us further than the science did. So long story, once I started to make that pivot and follow that path, I ended up in a career that worked in life sciences, but mostly in leadership development, executive development, talent management, a lot of things HR, and eventually into executive coaching and development, where I realized a lot of the, the space that was happening and what was going on in the world was people needed to make large pivots and large identity shifts. And when they did that, it was much more a space that they were going to do it in coaching than they were going to do it in training. So butts and seats didn't necessarily change culture, but changed hearts and changed minds did. I saw that all happening and then enter into us the, the world of 2020 and the pandemic and what was happening. I could see that 
seismically, we were shifting the definition of leadership and what employees expected of their work. And candidly, I had worked in corporate America far too long to see that um, work sucked for way too many people for way too long. And what we needed to do was help break that mold and model and help people realize that it didn't have to suck any longer. Instead of trying to put butts in seats and do it through training and development, what I realized was I could pick off the right leaders at the right time and help them pivot into this new and unique world. And suddenly a business was born. And I also got to fuel my own creativity and my own passion in that and realized that there was a gift inside of me that wasn't being realized in corporate America. And I could live much more authentically doing that on the outside than I could on the inside. So 2020, the world of conjunction leadership came to the forefront. And um, today I have the ability to serve clients through three three main purposes. One is the executive coaching practice, where the one-on-one is really the name of the game and allowing a client to get comfortable with who they want to be and what they want to do. Secondly, once they get comfortable, we bring their team along beside them and help their team have the same language and the same understanding of where they're trying to go. And thirdly, then what we do is a lot of culture mapping, just watching how those behaviors shift over time towards where we want them to be and helping that culture really be one that's more human-centric and a lot more productivity-focused rather than just the structures and silos that most places have. So I try to- I I love how you- the, The gift inside, you know, finding that true skill that you had and the passion behind it, spotting that need, and then just kind of the environment of what our world was like back in 2020, everything aligned for you to be able to have that aha moment, it sounds like, and, and take the leap into something where you can serve at a much higher level and really dig into that gift inside to help people. So I love everything about it. And I'd love to dig a little bit more into, we're starting off a new year, January, 2024, what has your focus, you know, right now within your company? Where are you taking things here in the new year? And you know, you mentioned a little bit about your your scope of services, but what does that look like on a on a day to day level with your clients? Yeah, uh, we have the the three pronged approach. So from the the individual to the team, and then ultimately to the culture. And for the last three years, three and a half years, we've spent a fair bit of time in the executive coaching practice. I mean, that's probably consumed about seventy five percent of it. Um, Last year, we made some significant pivots and started bringing the teams of those leaders along, both in large-scale organizations and a lot of entrepreneurial small-scale organizations as well. And really this year, what what the focus of the practice will be in adding more to it is in that culture mapping. So getting a lot more sophisticated, we've mapped behaviors on an individual level and helped the leader show where their reactive patterns are and where their creative strategies need to be to help them shift individually. Now what we're doing is putting that together collectively so that we can do collective assessments across the leadership team and show where they're moving. So um, I got drawn into a lot of venture capital situations and some startup funding organizations. And the the venture capitalist wanted an assessment of leadership of how that business is operating because they knew the technology or the idea was good. What they Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure is that the leadership team could stand behind it and operate effectively. So by doing a lot of this mapping work and some of the culture work, we're getting more and more into that space of helping them have data to show that they're making a sound investment, not just in the, the product, but also in the, the team. So so outside of the capital world, with this culture mapping, you're you're basically assessing the leadership team, each individual, and I'm sure there are lots of different data points there that you collect to assess what, what their personality and leadership style is. Does that then get applied to that that founder or CEO to then be able to create a plan about how to create the most syner- synergy within the culture of their company with their employees? Or is it purely at the 
the funding level that you've seen it implemented? No, we take it. I mean, that's one of the, I, I try to strategically choose um, some of these funding organizations that I'm working with, right? And they have to have a, there, there are some of these organizations that do just want to build the business and then sell it off. And then there are others that want to build this business and realize the value from it. So I try to align myself more with the latter, not the former. And those that that want this, they're not just making an assessment of, is this a sound thing that we can build and sell off? They want to know, is this a sustainable thing that's going to generate revenue for our investment partners? And in that case, we share the information back with the founder and the team, and we help them build leadership and coaching strategies off of it, as well as a lot of their own personal development. Like, what do they want out of life? Not just, they, most of them started a, this business because they wanted to get a life. They didn't want to just work harder and more and longer. They wanted to also have more um, joy and satisfaction in their life as well. So we we share it with them so that they can build those plans accordingly and say, how do I how do I continue to operate successfully, but not at the expense of my own self? Right. So amazing. Is there so a lot of our our listeners are are definitely more on the smaller scale entrepreneurial path. For somebody who maybe is either just getting started or you know maybe even five years into their their journey as an entrepreneur, but is very interested in this type of culture mapping. What kind of tools or, or resources outside of you know hiring a coach like yourself or a company like yours to come in and facilitate that type of practice? Are there any things that they can tap into to start to to get some of that data for themselves? Oh yeah, there's I mean there are online tools and resources available. They can probably do a quick Google search and find about twenty five of them. Yeah. What I find is <laughs> though, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what I find is the the majority of times it's not because the tool isn't available. It's because people founded a business and they want to be, they want to be running the business, but there's always a tension, as you know, in entrepreneurship, how much do you focus on the business or in the business? Right. And very rarely are they spending time thinking about the mechanics of what goes on internally. They're thinking about how do we grow the revenue? How do we grow the, the product line? How do we grow extensions of the brand, whatever that might be. And it's really that, that, safe spot that's created in coaching where they can say, okay, I know I need to be doing that. I know I also need to be building my staff and building the teamwork and understanding this. I just don't take time to do that because it's not revenue producing. Um, my job is to help them realize it actually is revenue producing, right? It's, it's, it helps them make a sustainable business climate where it can um, actually pay for itself. And what tends to happen is, as we scale our businesses, um, you know, when it's a, a one-man shop or a one-woman shop, what tends to happen is we do all the jobs, and then we bring a buddy or a, a gal along, and they help us with that, um, and we still do all the jobs. But eventually, we get to about five or six people, and we start specializing roles, and then we start building silos, and then we have to we think the way that we need to organize is put managers over those silos because they control those disciplines. And what tends to happen is our structure gets in the way of our strategy because that's the way we know to scale a business is just add a lot of structure. What most people aren't thinking about is another way to scale a business is to grow the talent and allow them to more freely operate without having a lot of structure around them. And really, honestly, it's a, it's a much different leadership style. It's one that's more like managing an ecosystem that needs to stay in balance than it is managing the intricacies of a car engine, if you will, where each piece fits together to do the function of the whole. And then it takes somebody as a mechanic to know how to run all those pieces and put them together. Um, if you have the right leadership talent that knows how to manage an ecosystem, then you don't really need a lot of structure. What you need is a lot of people who know how to get along as humans and know how to get good work done and handle conflict and all of those things. 
that are going to naturally come when we put more flawed and broken people into a system together. So that's, like that's you, really what they can get through the process of coaching. So, yeah, well, coaching is, is a gift we should all give to ourselves. I know it's helped me make leaps and bounds and crack codes in my, my own journey, but I love how you described that. And I'm curious with the name of your company, Conjunction Leadership, could you explain to listeners what that means and how it aligns with today's leadership needs like you just described? Yeah, absolutely. It is an origin story in and of itself. Um, you know, by background, I'm a middle child. I grew up with an older sister and younger brother. There were always tensions in my life, whether I played sports or I did other activities. I pursued the academic route. You know, when I got to college, it was, do I do, do, I do these clubs and activities or do I do um, spend more time in my academics and the science, right? And there was always a natural tension. And I always found myself kind of getting stalled and stuck whenever that tension arose because I felt like it was an either or pathway. But what I found out for myself was when I took the time and held the pregnant pause and I put those two things together, I could figure out how to be in people and in science and how I could do many things together, but it was a unique path to me. It wasn't the path that many other people followed. Ironically, when I launched the business, I had a business coach beside me. She was asking me questions. Do you wanna be in pharmaceuticals or life science or agriculture? Those were the industries that I had spent most of my time in. And I kept scratching my head and kind of wondering, like, I, I don't really know. I don't know. Would well, you want to do this? Or do you want to do this? And she kept presenting options to me and it kept forcing me back into a corner. And then I went on a retreat. I walked in the woods for a long time and I started thinking to myself, how do I put these things together? And when I put the things together, what popped out was a business model that I could get behind and it was uniquely mine. It wasn't somebody else's that I was following. But the name also popped out because I realized it was because I kept putting the or between those things and it was causing me to feel stuck. But when I put the and into it and coupled that with a lot of courage, it enabled me to step out into a place that was a unique pathway for me. And I think that's where many of leaders get stuck is that they're standing on the edge of what many other people have done with a lot of fear and trembling that they're not sure that they should go forward into the unique path that they've been called. And so I feel like the, the name conjunction allows them and allows me to give them the freedom to say, put the and in the middle of there. Now let's hold the pause and say what emerges when we do, because what, what's most likely going to emerge is the way that you're supposed to be giving yourself to the world and bringing your gift to realization, because there's the path of one. It's not the path of many anymore. So the name yeah. conjunction was born. I love it. And let's, let's talk about the and mindset that you advocate for a little bit more here. How does this concept help leaders like eliminate limitations and thrive and how do, how do you put it into practice with your coaching with your clients yeah uh the the so when you think about it there's a psychological principle called splitting and what that really means is when when your brain is bombarded with information it breaks it into the most obvious and disparate um functions and so if you think about it, and this is what was going on back in 2020 um, when I launched the business too, right? The, the world was spinning so quickly. We had social unrest. We had the global pandemic. We had people working from home. We had all kinds of things that were going on. And the, there was just so much information in people's minds that the only way they could pull apart what they needed to do was, am I Republican or am I Democrat? Or mm -hmm. am I on this side or on this side? And people were at odds with one another just because their brain was pulling that information apart, right? Now, the and mindset says, maybe I'm neither Republican nor Democrat. Maybe I'm not on this side or this side. Maybe there's something in the middle there that's unique to me. And 
it is much harder and it takes a lot more courage for us to sit with that for a little bit because it doesn't emerge very quickly. And in our, our pattern of reactivity, what we like, are, especially in entrepreneurship, is we want quick actions and fast results, right? Um, and a lot of times what happens in, in my coaching practice with clients is they, they kind of know that neither of those tensions fit them. They know that they're, they feel like they're kind of being forced into a box or a model that doesn't necessarily work for them, but they're not giving themselves the space that they deserve to come up with what is that third or fourth or fifth solution that emerges when we hold it. And so what I can do for them is listen to those tensions. What I help them do is re resolve the fact that neither of these feel like they're going to fit where you're going long-term. What is another option? And as long as I just keep asking that question and holding the space, they are able to make unusual pivots that get them to their best future yet. Because what they're able to see is there are other options, but my brain was just tricking me into the most obvious ones. Wow. Aha. Uh -huh. I'm just thinking about, you know, how polarized we are in, especially in the States, in so many different areas, you brought up one of the most polarizing of, you know, spaces being politics, but beyond just the personal journey, I see this as such a great way with that and mindset to be able to have better communication, better conversations and build more bridges with your people, with your team, with your stakeholders, with clients, with competitors, whatever the case may be, if you're not putting yourself in that box that's opposite somebody, you're actually trying to meet in the middle and understand and, and have dialogue, that's going to lead to a lot better outcomes in all areas of life. So I think this applies perfectly in so many key areas of, of being a yeah. leader. And we live in a I world... But... Oh, go ahead. No, no, all you. I, I see it in a lot of ways. And it you know, I put myself back in, in entrepreneur mindset, building my own business as an example. And there are times you just want to see the revenue click. You want to see things come in. You want to see clients, you know, and proposals get signed. You're focused so much on that, that your brain almost tricks you into, that is what I have to focus on if I want to be successful. Now, when I have a team of people with me, the, 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 the tension is, do I focus on the team or do I focus on this, right? Do I focus on building the business? And that, that, that is not a mutually exclusive decision, right? If a leader can step back and go, it is an and both in this case, like I need to focus on the team and build the business, right? But if I focus on the team, they will help build the business versus me carrying it on all of my shoulders. And so that's probably the largest tension that I find that in the startup space or early entrepreneurship is that it's just so go, go, go and aggressive that we focus on the bottom line before we forget the front line. So a little bit of a pivot here, but we live in a world where where people have the freedom to be more nomadic, work remotely, automate large portions of their lives, leverage AI, so much rapid change happening. And I'm curious, what is like one key piece of advice you'd give for leading effectively in this rapidly changing, semi-chaotic environment where everything's dynamic, it seems these days? Yeah. One is to recognize that, right? And I think that's probably the biggest shift that most people need to do. I alluded to it earlier when I talked about the ecosystem type of mentality, but leadership in, you know, if we were to look at how time has evolved and how our culture has evolved, um, back in the industrial revolution days, everything was put into a process and it was automated. And it was the person who knew that process often became the leader of the process, right? The people who had access to more education became the manager, if you will. The person who had worked in the business the longest rose to the highest levels because they knew how to manage all of the processes. 
And then it became from that kind of more simple environment to a, a complicated environment, which is what I alluded to more like the car engine. When different assembly lines and things had to come together to make the function happen, there were multiple silos and multiple functions within a business. And the person who rose to leadership was the person who knew how to put all those things together, right? But today's business environment, the volatile, uncertain, uh, changing and ambiguous, if you've heard that acronym, the VUCA environment, okay. oh, yeah. is that environment where it one, one variable doesn't cause a downstream consequence on another variable. It could cause an overall system consequence, right? So many things are interrelated because of the global economy or because of the way that our information systems link together or the way that our supply chain works as we also have resolved in the last several years, right? One thing, one input into the system causes a downstream explosion across many others. And we have to know that consequence exists. Many leaders have not yet adapted their leadership to that type of leadership style where they have to realize I'm managing an ecosystem that needs to stay in balance versus managing a complicated system that I can just mechanically put one piece in and take another piece out. What that means for the leader is I have to be much more understanding of how to relate to human beings. <laughs> um, I can no longer just get an MBA in how to manage a business because a business is made up of human beings. And a lot of the things that human beings used to do in terms of managing process are now being taken by the robots anyway. Yeah. So business by definition is becoming more human and relational. Many leaders have not learned that competency. They think they have, and they've gone through the right EQ training, and they've gone through the right way to handle objections, and they've probably gone through the right HR training and DEI training. But what, what they haven't necessarily done is learn how to relate to other human beings in a way that helps the ecosystem stay in balance. Because when I build a human-to-human -human bond with you, we can have a disturbance in the, in the business, and I will emotionally know how to handle that as an employee. If I don't have that relationship and I don't have that security of feeling like I'm connected with the other human beings in there, I will relate for I will wait for the hierarchy to handle that problem. And I will escalate those problems to the level of which I believe the safety exists because I don't want to take that risk. Now, what I hear from my leaders that call me is I want my employees to be more entrepreneurial and I want them to be more managerial. I want them to have greater uh, resilience and greater drive. Well, those are things we all want, right? But what the leader hasn't realized is that's a reflection on their footprint. Their footprint cascading down in the organization says that employees may not want to take that risk because you're not making it safe from the top. And that's where I can help them with that kind of emotional quotient, if you will, on how to relate differently in this environment than they probably ever have before. And unfortunately, that's not a module that's taught in their MBA program. So Yeah, but I'm guessing that that might look different for different types of, of leadership styles, but what, what do you say to those people? Or what's the first step in, in helping them to get to that point where they can cast the right, you know, shadow down that inspires rather than, you know, detracts from people being able to step into that entrepreneurial mode. Yeah. Well, um, one of the first uh, things that I do with a leader when they come on board as a coaching client is we go through their origin story and it's, it's a very simple timeline exercise. We just have them divide their life up into four different quadrants from the time they were born until present. And then I have them plot the highs and the lows, like on a chart physically to say above the line is so many units high and below the line is so many units low. And here were the moments that mattered in my life. And they circle those and they write a little story about each one. And then they reflect that back to me. A couple of things emerge from that. One is like, what were those moments that really mattered to you? And how did that shape part of your identity? 
But also what I'm listening for as the coach is what are those core values that have been solidified over time as those highs and those lows have occurred in your life? And when they can take responsibility for that origin story and own all of it, the things that were good and the things that also were not so good, and they can repurpose it with some shared learning and shared stories, they're automatically now arming themselves with, with a huge amount of opportunity to connect with the rest of the population. But for far too long, leaders have had a definition, particularly certain styles of leadership have had a definition that have said, never let them see you sweat, right? Don't, don't relate to people that way. Don't share your vulnerabilities because vulnerabilities are weaknesses. Um, if we can pivot that mindset to say, you know, if I can share my story, they will share their story. And as we do that, what we are is we're in relationship with one another and we're good humans who can get good work done rather than I'm a good boss who can help you direct and control and plan and optimize everything that you're doing in your work environment. Um, those definitions of leadership are far gone. And I think the newer generations the, that are entering the workforce aren't, they're not tolerating it anymore. Yeah. And so it's only people my age or older who are wrestling with this thing and they're realizing like, I don't know how to do this. So one of the first things we do is just arm themselves with their origin story and give them a whole bunch of ways to relate to people in a different way, realizing the ups and the downs of their life were all necessary and purposeful. So I love it. This kind of ties into something I, I dug into as I was researching for this. You talk about masculine leadership and, and growth as, as you get older, middle age, especially what, what key challenges do men face in, in business and life that you see regularly with the people that you work with and how can they overcome them? Yeah, it's a good one. I, um, so most of my clients tend to be men, not because I uh, set out that way, but that's who tended to find me. Or what has happened a lot is some of their female companions, either spouses or coworkers have called and said, somebody in my life needs help. Um, and that tends to be the bigger issue is that men don't often recognize they need that help. They think that we, we've kind of armed ourselves up to be the fierce warrior or the lone ranger and say, I can do it all by myself. Ain't that One of the biggest pivots that happens in that midlife kind of space is maybe what they're realizing is what I want isn't what I really wanted all along, right? And the the freedom to say what I am doing now is different than what I did in the past is huge for most guys because they want to be congruent with everything that they went on record of having said. So in our 20s, it was all about making money and getting a good job, getting good degree, a good degree so that we could get out there and make our mark in the workplace. And in our 30s, it was about amassing and collecting and acquiring, whether it's status or wealth or possessions or titles, right? Somewhere in that 40s mark, um, what most people are realizing is they're, they're making an uncomfortable trade. They're, they're trading dollars for time or they're trading titles for, for the, the, um, the freedom that they really would want to have. And that's when they start getting the tension. It's either more of what I'm doing today, more road hustling and more corporate warriorship, or it's going to be a live a life of luxury and fly to Thailand and just live on the beach, right? And neither of those are probably going to get them where they want to be. But somewhere in between, there is some truth there. Like, I no longer want this and I do want this. And it's that midlife space where a lot of things just start feeling a lot of destabilized. Like men start realizing I'm, I don't want to work as hard. I probably not as quick as I used to be. I'm physically not quite as strong as I wanted to be at one point or another. I sacrificed a lot of my well-being on the idol of career success. 
And when all of those things are feeling like you're losing something, particularly men start to retreat because they don't know how to continue to win a game that they're losing some of their faculties or their resources around. If I can, if in that space, what we can do is help them also see what they are gaining, that at this point in their life, they have a lot of what we would call crystallized wisdom. They're not gaining fluid wisdom anymore where they're just learning all kinds of stuff. But what you have learned has crystallized itself into a unique story for you. And in my case, all around people leadership and organizational development and how to build a culture, right? That was not something I went to school for, but there was a lot of crystallized wisdom there. And when you learn to step into that space and you realize I don't have to outwit or outlast or outcompete anybody because what I have been given right now is unique to me. I can go live in this gift in my strength and not have to be faster or smarter or better than anyone else. I can just be the best me. When men make that pivot, they come to this whole new realization that says, I can be more relational with people because I'm no longer in competition with them. And most of our life up to that point, we have been in competition with one another so much that while I might respect you as a dude, I'm still wanting to take you down. When I can respect you as a dude and realize together we can get better and we're going to grow together, it is an amazing journey when the bond of, of friendship and leadership occur at the same time. So, what a shift! I'm. I feel like I've come into that that kind of space more so over the last few years of just trying to build community and and build bridges and and not see even my direct competitors as competitors, but like certainly there's something that we can all align on and create more opportunity and, and more success together than against each other. So I love that you bring that up and, and also tie into the, the real theme of this podcast, which is the intentionality behind how you choose to live your life. And, you know, one of the biggest hurdles that most people in general face is living that well-rounded life and doing the things that bring them joy with the people that they care about most. And so often it's sacrificing that for that success, the title, the money, whatever it may be. So it sounds like you've come into a good place in your life. And I'm curious, what does living an intentional life look like for you? How do you create that balance? Or maybe you don't call it balance, but tell us a little bit yeah. about that. I prefer the word optimized. Um, yeah. Balance to me implies that tension, you know, right? The teeter totter has to balance and there has to be a fulcrum point. But one of the first exercises, well, I told you the first exercise I do with clients. The second one often is just a life mapping exercise. And I do it for myself regularly. I just go through the various different dimensions of one's life, financial, spiritual, physical, relational, social, emotional. And I just start giving myself a score on that. Like, where do I feel like I currently am? And to be really truthful with it. Like what I find with my clients is the first time we do it, I mean, every, every guy particularly wants to be a five in all of those areas, right? Five, 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 five. And I'm like, is that realistic for you? Because let's look, I mean, you came to me and you said, I don't really need more money and I don't really need a bigger title because I know what those are going to get me if I get those things, right? They just get me more problems. But you're also telling me that in financial, you need to be a five. So are you, what'd you do with all your money, right? And we start asking those questions. Well, they're like, no, it's all stashed away. I've got it in the 401k. I got it in the bank. It's all there. But then why do you need to be a five in your financial situation? What are you trying to get even more of? I don't. Well, they'll, they'll often tell me that in their social or their spiritual or their emotional life, they may feel more like a two or a three. And they want that to be maybe more of a four or five. And I'm like, but 
if you want to be a five in your finances and you want to be a five in your emotional one, which one are you going to give your effort to, right? And they will admit it to me that they're always going to default to their career or their finances because those are the things that they've learned how to control. Those are the things that feel most um, most organized and planned in their life. And they know the variables of the game. When it gets into this emotional and social space and serving my community or, or living my greatest purpose in life, those are existential questions that they're not yet prepared to deal with. And they don't, because they're not prepared to deal with it, they say, I want to be a five, but they don't want to put any effort there. So my job and what I have done in my own life is just to learn to be authentic in that journey to say, it's not about money. It's not about title. It's not about position. It's not, it's about the impact that you have and the service that you offer. And when you put your effort into those things, it kind of is natural that the rest of it pops out, but it's not a journey that's programmed like many other people have followed. It's a journey that only uniquely you are called to follow. So outside of work, what, what lights you up? What do you like to do? What are the, the rules that you have to turn work off and, and go do those things? Do you have any systems around that? And what do you like to do? Uh, I wish I had systems. I don't have a lot of systems, but I have a lot of passions. And those passions tend to then create boundaries, which means everything kind of flows together. But I love to work out. I'm a, I am love to lift. I love to run. I love to just get my body in physical motion. I love to be outdoors, um, particularly in the grayness of Indiana winters. I love to get as much sunshine as we possibly can or skip away to where the sun is shining. Um, I'm also an agricultural guy, so I like to see things grow. So between animals and plants, I have a little, we live on some property and we raise some animals out there. And so my kids and I are always out in the barn working. Um, and then I do have a large family as well. We have five kids. So um, with their activities and watching them grow, I think one of my greatest callings in life is to help them be respectable human beings and help them learn some of these lessons earlier on in their journey so that they're not 40 years old, scratching their head going, what am I doing? So, Well, I'm sure that calling with the purpose behind it helps create that separation from from work and, and having yeah. that additional time with your family and doing the things that you love to do and through those moments being able to pass down some of those lessons in you know real time and real life experiences so what i realized was when i stepped away from the traditional corporate mindset of eight to five type of work you know when maybe it blended into 60 hour days or whatever it was was when i stepped into this world of entrepreneurship and that was my passion and that was my calling like work and life they, there no longer is really a boundary because my work is my life and my kids are my work. And so what happens is the lessons that I learn through my clients or the lessons that I learn in my work are the same lessons that I can take back out to the dinner table when we're sitting around there and we're talking together as a family. Um, the way that they can help me in my business today is way different than the way they could have ever tried to help me when I was just working for someone else in a corporate setting. So I think a lot of your podcast listeners would probably also attest to this, like work, when you become an entrepreneurship, your definition of work also changes and it can purposely and intentionally help you create the life that you want to live, not just the income that you want to receive, right? So um, an example of my own life, even in the last year, business has grown very good and I've been very, very blessed, but I had to wrestle with the idea of, do I want to hire more people to help me scale this business? In the world of work, the definition of that is, yes, higher revenues equals more success. In the definition of life optimization, it was more people doesn't always equate to a better life, right? Sometimes managing a larger team means that I would actually be interfacing with clients less. And I had to realize maybe that's not the definition of success for me right now. 
So I just would challenge listeners to think, what's your definition of success and what is your definition of life optimization? So yeah, that's so critical to to get clear on because entrepreneurial being an entrepreneur is a vehicle to freedom, but only if you have that clarity and and can know, like you just described, when maybe growth isn't the right thing for what you're really trying to optimize for. If you want more time to spend with your family and do the things that you love to do and doubling your business this year is going to mean hiring more people and having less time to do those things, then maybe that's not the right move. So, yep. but everybody's path is different. You got to have that that clarity and that conversation with yourself, but ideally having somebody to facilitate and, and tease some of that stuff out is going to help tremendously as well. So as we move to, to wrap up here, Jim, I have a choose your own adventure question for you. So you can pick whichever one you'd like to answer or both if you so desire. But the first is what's a favorite place you've traveled to visited in past five years, let's say it could be a solo trip, a boy's trip with your family or second, just what's a what recent adventure you went on? Could be in your own backyard, neighborhood, local, or or anywhere in the world. But in either case, what was it like? Who were you with? What made it so memorable? Maybe a lesson you learned along the way. Give us a story. Okay, so I have to choose one. Um, as a as the conjunction guy, I want to choose two. Um, you can choose both, like I said. <laughs> okay. Quickly, I so we our family just returned from a vacation um, down in the islands. We went to the Caymans for the, for Christmas and just came back right before New Year's. So um, I will have to say that is a premier spot. Very nice, very quiet for us to be together um, in a place like that and just be outside for the majority of the time was wonderful. Um, I would say from an adventure perspective, is just the opposite of that. I just went to a small cabin, uh, a camp spot, actually in Southern Indiana back in November. Once a year, I try to do a little solo retreat. Um, and it's it's my way of getting uncomfortable because I'm a natural extrovert. I love to be around people, but silence and solitude is also something that I need. So being around nature, just communing outside by myself, um, walking without technology around or headphones on, um, enabled me to just kind of step into what do I want to be and where do I want to? So I, I always try to set an intention when I go for a walk or go for a hike. What's my intention? So one time it was reflecting on the past and one time it was ideating about the future. And another time it was about those things that make me feel uncomfortable or that I need to, that I need to step through that portal on. Another time it was around the relationships that I wanted to, to strengthen during the next upcoming year. Right. So when I do this in a November-ish timeframe, what it enables me to do is step into the new year, kind of already having a lot of that stuff flushed out and a purpose behind it. So for me, that's one of the greatest adventures that I do every year is just getting away by myself. Um, it's not comfortable for me, but yeah. it is something I absolutely need. So I love that because yeah, I'm like you, I, I don't like being alone. <laughs> I thrive around people. My wife's gone this week, so I'm I'm at home alone and it's, it's not the most comfortable feeling, but I've, yeah. I've toyed with the idea of doing some type of solo retreat. And I love the way that you described, especially going on hikes and having an intention behind what, what you're going to ponder while you're walking through the woods and doing it at the end of the year. You can see how that could be a really great way to just leap into the new year with some clarity around where you want to go. So I'd have to do that this year. I love it. Yeah. I encourage you to it's it. Um, if you need someone to journey with you as you get ready to go or afterwards, I'd be glad to be that guide as well. So amazing. Well, I appreciate that tremendously. Well, as we move to wrap up, do you have any other parting advice, ask challenge requests of, of my audience that's listening in? 
before we uh kind of plug socials and website and all that kind of stuff no um just just uh the commercial part of me says you know there's a lot of people out there who think that coaching is only for people who are struggling i want you to know like even michael jordan had a coach right even lebron james has a coach um, they have strength coaches, fitness coaches, nutrition coaches, social psychologists. They have every kind of coach in the book at their disposal. And so even the most successful people in the world um, still have the opportunity for coaching. And so if anybody has that need or that fit, I just look me up. I'd love to journey with you through that, helping you become what you want to become. Amazing. Where's the best or what's the best way to start that conversation with you? I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, I know not a lot of people like to DM and and message on LinkedIn. So I also, my email is always available to, for people, Jim at conjunctionleadership.com. My website, conjunctionleadership.com is another place you'll find me with blog articles or journals or things like that, that I put up. So amazing. Well, we will put everything in the show notes. So it's that much easier for people to get in touch with you. And Jim, thank you. I've got notes on things that I want to apply. Definitely this solo retreat is something that... I'm definitely interested in. So I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today and sharing so much value with our audience. Well, thanks for having me, TJ. It's been a real pleasure. To all of our adventurous listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone you know will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember... Whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.